Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I apologize for any kitty noises in the background. My cats have decided this is the perfect time to go hunting stuffed animals. Over the years, our cats have practically been co-hosts for this podcast, so I don't think anything has really changed. I mean, good old Hamish, back when he was around Aww. R.I.P., when he would used to contribute to the podcast with his own very loud <laughs> meowy thoughts. <laughs> I remember that. You'd have to kind of kick him out every single time. Do you think your cats would have opinions on the Nintendo 3DS, Nadia? Uh, yes, because my cats have opinions on everything. Most of their opinions have to do with the quality of the food I feed them. Like, what is wrong with you? Even though you're spending like your life savings on our food, you suck. This is terrible. Where's the tuna? But I think that they would enjoy the Nintendo 3DS because it has some really charming games like Nintendo Dogs and Cats. I think most cats would rather just sit on the Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, the, the, if the, if it, if they sit, they fit. Especially if it's toasty. Though the 3DS is a little, little bit small. The uh, Switch is much better, I think, in that regard. I would not leave my Switch anywhere that my cats could sit on it. It's just not happening. Yes, so anyway, that is the topic of this week's episode. The Nintendo 3DS is our console RPG quest continues into probably the weakest handheld that Nintendo's put out, unless you count the Virtual Boy, which wasn't really a handheld. That was more of a thing that you set up on your table. That was more of a thing you used if you wanted to give yourself an instant migraine. <laughs> we'll also be talking about all of the RPG news and having an update on round two of March Madness as it continues. Lots of really interesting matchups and results happening, some that I was really not expecting. So please look forward to that if you enjoy the podcast do us a favor leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia is at nadia oxford and i stream sometimes at twitch.tv slash cat bailey tv bunch of stuff is happening on the podcast nadia we recently did the pantheon of the blood god episode for final fantasy eight two and a half hours of rpg goodness really enjoyed talking about it and i'm amazed we're still friends after that conversation <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, you should know by now, Kat, that Final Fantasy VIII, I am not the only person in the world who thinks it's a weird uh, entry that's just not a lot of fun to play. You are the deviant here, not me. I think it's very fun to play, and I think it holds up incredibly well after 20 years. I had it's a blast so in my playthrough. Sitting there like some <laughs> mook enemy, like, oh my god, what do I do with you? Do I hit you? Do I draw from you until the sun goes down i don't know what to do and so many choices and they all make me very paranoid somebody just sighed and turned the little sign that said days since cat and naughty argue about final fantasy 8 back to zero <laughs> back when uh there was actually audiences for wrestling there used to be this sign war going on where one week someone would hold up a sign saying final fantasy 8 is the best one and the next week someone would hold up a sign saying final fantasy 8 sucks and this went on for a while I don't like that person who held the, the sign saying <laughs> that it sucks. No, but I can understand their heart. <laughs> I cannot. But if you want to listen to us talk about this a lot more, go and subscribe at our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, to, and you'll be able to access our Pantheon of the Blood God episodes for Lufia 2, Final Fantasy VIII, Skies of Arcadia, plus our Witcher Watch which was a part of our television of the Blood God series. And we also have a special subscriber-only episode going up this week, or next week, I should say, a side quest for Acts of the Blood God, 
a 35th anniversary tribute to Legend of Zelda. Nadia are going to be talking about it. And we're going to have a special guest, John Cartwright from Nintendo Life and also previously of Game Explain. I'm very excited to have him on because he's great. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking, really looking forward to that. And I think, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you will be excited too. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the news. First item of business, Bethesda's merger is complete. They are now under the umbrella of Xbox, Xbox's fiendish plan to capture all of the RPGs, or at least all of the Western RPGs, continues apace. They held an event that was kind of intended to be a welcome to the family for Bethesda, and it wasn't putting as much emphasis on the RPGs because I think mostly Xbox wanted to show that, hey, Bethesda's a lot more than Fallout and Skyrim, which is true, though, even though we don't really acknowledge that around here. Pretty much. This is the... This is the Bethesda RPG zone. So uh, if you want to talk about Doom, for example, uh, not a great place. I did think it was interesting that they said that id Tech, which is the engine behind games like Doom, would become probably a greater part of Xbox going forward. So uh, it's funny because we think of Bethesda as kind of like the jank lords in chief uh, with oh, Skyrim absolutely. and Fallout and everything. But also they have id, which is one of the preeminent technological studios uh, in gaming history. It's kind of a yin and yang situation going on right there. Yeah, there is no way that Elder Scrolls 6 is coming out on that jank ass engine they have going on for so many generations that it is just straining under the weight of modern uh, consoles as it is. A big question that has been surrounding the Bethesda acquisition has been, will Bethesda be putting out games for both PS5 and Xbox and PC, or will it just be an Xbox and PC situation? And we got pretty much confirmation that there will be games, like that they're pretty much going to be exclusive. Like I would Mm. not be expecting Elder Scrolls 6 or Fallout 5 to be on the PlayStation 5. Sorry, Sony owners, you're out in the cold for this one. There's a reason that Microsoft went and bought this company. (laughs) Yeah, that's what someone I I saw was saying on Twitter, that they spent billions on this acquisition. Uh, They're going to get their return on investment. And the best way to do that is to make Elder Scrolls 6 and Starfield. Is Starfield, is that what it's called? The game is coming Yes. Uh, make those exclusives. I'm sure they'll have games, of course, that will be cross-platform, but at this rate, it does not look like it will be the Elder Scrolls. I'm not surprised. What's funny is that I hardly ever turn on my PlayStation 5 anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually on a waiting list for a PlayStation 5, so um, mm. everyone send their energy. That, that happens, especially since it's so tricky right now with Ontario. It keeps on opening stores and closing them and opening them. Like, EB Games was open for a few days, and that's when I started to take the, <laughs> the uh, registrations. But the numbers are going are, are just soaring again for the, the cases. So they might close everything down again. And I just don't know what's going on. So maybe I'll have a PS5 at the end of it all. Who knows? Pretty soon there will be games on the PlayStation 5. But I'm much more excited for Monster Hunter Rise right now. So I'm playing my Switch more than anything. Yeah. The PlayStation 5 I mostly want because they're upgrading Final Fantasy XIV for it. And the load times, man... As it is, I use the load times in Final Fantasy 14 to check my phone, but you won't have the opportunity to do that on the PlayStation 5. While Bethesda is hosting a roundtable, Square Enix is preparing a digital showcase of its own. It's going to be on March 18th, and they're going to be showing a lot of different games, a lot of Western games, yeah. games like Outriders, a game that everybody cares about very much. 
I forgot about that game completely. I'll be honest with you right here. I looked at that game list and I said, when I heard Square Enix is doing their own thing, I said, oh, cool. RIP E3 again, I suppose, because everyone's doing all these digital showcases. But I saw the, the games that they're showing, like, oh boy, Life is Strange. I don't really care. Where's Final Fantasy? Where's anything other than all these this Western non-RPG stuff? We, we have Avengers there. And someone said, the only thing I want to hear about Avengers at this point is they're, they're killing it, like putting it to oh, sleep. <laughs> so, dang. But they, they said the presentation is something like 40 minutes. So who knows what we're getting? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'll say that much. I'll, I'll certainly tune in and probably disappointed, but uh, at least I'll give it a try. Kind of wanted to do a community watch for this Square Enix digital showcase, but also I don't know if it's worth it because I don't know if they're actually showing anything that our community is going to care about. Yeah, if they had listed a bunch of JRPGs, I would have been like, oh, sure, Community Watch would be a lot of fun, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I, I don't know what they have planned. I don't know why they would put all those games up there if they wanted to uh, attract the, the JRPG crowd. Surprise, Dragon Quest Twelve tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> if they do that, like say they have like all these Western RPGs on their list and then they like drop all these Eastern RPGs. Um, I'll be a little bit cheesed, I suppose, because that would have been a really great uh, live reaction watch missed. And at this showcase, Outriders will be not shown. Instead, we're showing <laughs> Final Fantasy 16 for 40 hours. Psych! We gotcha. Okay. Here comes Katase. Oonch, 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 oonch. <laughs> <laughs> I could deal with that. I wish that would happen. Have you seen that new crazy meme where they take a picture of somebody and they can have them singing along uh, using yes. fake technology? It's disturbing. That was Nomura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Speaking of Final Fantasy, Fantasian might be legendary composer Nobuo Uematsu's last full soundtrack. This probably isn't surprising since Uematsu has been taking time to recover from illness since 2018. It's nice that his last soundtrack is for a Sakaguchi game. It brings things around full circle. To be honest, Nadia, I kind of thought that Uematsu was more or less retired. Like, he was still contributing tracks to Final Fantasy XIV and whatnot. I'm just surprised that he's doing full soundtracks at all. So am I, to be honest with you. I mean, when we talk about retirement, or semi-retirement, I don't even think he did anything for Shadowbringers for Final Fantasy XIV. The theme, he always does the theme song for the expansions. He did not do that for Shadowbringers. He was completely hands-off. I think if he did anything, he did some work for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, and, and all power to him. If he's sick, by all means, I want him to rest before he does anything else. So I'm actually surprised to hear that he is doing a soundtrack for Fantasian. And from the sounds of it, it sounds beautiful. So good for him. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want him to overwork himself or get sick. But if he is just kind of piecing out alongside Sakaguchi, I think that's a, a nice thing for him to do. Get better soon, Nobu Uematsu. You're, you're a legend. Absolutely. I saw him when I saw the Distant Worlds concert at Otakon a couple of years ago. Uh, I think he, he, of course, conducted One Winged Angel because, of course, you got to have One Winged Angel. But it was really cool to see him there. I saw him when he was promoting some nonsense Kickstarter that we got suckered into at TGS one year. And then everybody was kind of looking around going, oh, nobody cares about this <laughs> Kickstarter. Dang. But Uematsu, Uematsu was a, a great front man, got the, the press right in the door, and then we all walked right back out. What Do you even remember what game that was for? Heck no. That was like five years ago. I'm guessing it did not take off. I'm guessing. Yeah, that was um, five, ten-ish years ago was just everyone was rushing to Kickstarter and throwing their game on there. And 
a lot of great stuff came out of Kickstarter, e.g. Undertale, just for one example. But there was a lot of stuff that was just disappointing or faded into nothingness or worse. They got funded and just died and nobody got their game or their money. It must have been TGS 2013 because that was the last time I was actually at TGS. So that was not eight years ago. (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. So you were you were at uh, the 2013 TGS, huh? That's pretty cool. I was, yes. I've been to a few Tokyo game shows over the years. I'd love to go. I, you and I should go to Japan someday and, and make trouble or something. I don't know. It was fun. We should we should kickstart a trip to Japan from our community. I'm sure that they would love to underwrite it. I don't know. <laughs> we, could, <laughs> we could get a lot of uh, content, content, content out of a trip to Japan, I think. It just like have me embarrassing myself at 7-Elevens by not knowing that they're supposed to take the stuff out of the basket, not you. Continuing on with more Japanese RPG-related stuff, uh, Trails of Cold Steel is getting an anime adaptation coming out in 2022. Nadia says, personally, I'd rather play the games than sit back and have the story fisted down my throat, but to each their own. That is a lot of story to consume in anime form. And I feel like part of a great deal of Cold Steel's um, strength is the fact that you can you have a lot of chances to wander around and explore the world and fight because I still love that battle system. I think it's a great battle system. So, uh, I, I mean, absolutely nothing against the story for Cold Steel. I think it's great overall, but that's just uh, a lot to consume in one sitting without breaking it up through battles and cool music and fun character moments. As long as the anime is well done, I am hopeful for it. I think that anime adaptations of RPGs have kind of a poor track record as Persona Mm -hmm. and Valkyria Chronicles and various other shows have kind of attested over the years. I wasn't really thinking about that when I decided to do this uh, Television of the Blood God project, but (laughs) so it goes. No, no, that's what makes it fun, though. Uh, I still want to do like Captain N or something or the Zelda adaptation. God, have you ever seen the Captain N adaptation of Dragon Warrior, because it's actually really interesting. I actually like what they did with that series. We should. I we watched should the that. first episode of Captain N, and it was one of the worst things I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not good. I loved it when I was when I was younger because back then game video, video games exactly. And I do remember being so confused by how bad the character designs were. Mega Man was one thing, fine, but I was so confused about Simon. I was like, why is he wearing this bomber jacket? Why is he not like a barbarian? Why is he why is he so self-absorbed? I don't get the joke. And Mother Brain, what the heck was going on with Mother Brain? <laughs> she had uh, Audrey 2's voice. That's fantastic. Have you ever seen Little Shop of Horrors? Please tell me yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Good, good. Okay, but it was a so... stage production. Oh, you haven't movie. seen Okay, you know, you got to see the movie. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a classic that I haven't yeah. seen. <laughs> no, I know like every word of the soundtrack. I'm ridiculous. Okay, that's it for the news, Nadia. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been playing. And this week, Nadia, I've been playing Loop Hero, which sold 500,000 copies in a wow. week. So lovely little tribute to classic dungeon crawlers, specifically dungeon crawlers that came out on PC Circa maybe the late 80s, early 90s. It's very cute. Have you heard of Loop Hero, Nadia? I have definitely heard of it. It's kind of one of those background things that's getting louder and louder to the point that I have to say, well, maybe I'll pay attention. Is it on PC only or Switch? Or Right now it is PC only. It's very mm-hmm. addictive. Mm-hmm. So basically the premise is this. You're a little hero and you're going on a loop. 
like literally a circle. And it's kind of an auto battler. So as you run into monsters, your character will fight them and the monsters will attack them and also reduce some uh, HP. And then when Mm -hmm. they get back to town, the loop begins again. Meanwhile, as you defeat enemies, you get loot and you get these little cards and you can take the cards and start building out the world. So you're putting down mountains and um, rocks and treasuries and then also more monsters. And you can kind of decide, do I want to spread the monsters out and kind of have an easier way to slowly level up? Or do I want to clump them together and have really difficult encounters that also produce really good return on investment? And each time you go around the loop, it gets more dangerous. You become more powerful, but the enemies become stronger. And you have to kind of decide, okay, is this it? Do I want to stop? Because you can only really stop in town. If you try and stop when you're outside of town, you will lose all your stuff. And if you die, you will lose like 70% of your stuff. So Yikes. you have to really like think about what you want to do. It's It takes a lot of elements from like roguelites, uh, kind of like D- dungeon crawlers like Diablo 2, that kind of thing. So it's very addictive, very clever little game. That sounds like a lot of fun. I wish it was on Switch or something. Oh, I'm sure it'll make it there eventually. It's, it all does. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, in the meantime, I'm kind of occupied myself because I've got, uh, I've gotten to Bravely Default too, as I finally, finally should have, and I'm really enjoying it. Like I, I figured I would. It's great, <laughs> Pretty, isn't it? It's easy peasy, very easy. I know the story is not great. Characters are not great. They're fine. They're cute. Uh, someone brought up on Twitter the main problem with the story is not that it's a little bit JRPG ish, but the fact that it's delivered mostly by people standing around and talking, which I agree is a little bit boring, but. It's not about the story. Something about Bravely Default in general, this is hard to explain. I feel like the grinding in that game just feels so good. I, I feel like I'm accomplishing something, so I don't mind when it happens. The boss battles are actually really clever. I have a lot of fun with those. Uh, I'm not extremely deep into the game yet. I think I'm about to get my ass kicked by that bard. Uh, I gotta say, though, I absolutely adore the bard costume. It has the peacock feathers. Just so brilliant. Such a Such a clever little game. And I feel like maybe... It's not getting the appreciation it deserves, but I guess it's it's a, it's a matter of taste, isn't it? It's not the kind of game that goes over well with reviewers because it's very hard and it's mm-hmm. kind of janky and it is old fashioned in many ways. Very. But for a certain kind of person like me and you and mm-hmm. people who listen to this podcast, it's great. It's like crack. Like I, I, I've, it's been quite a while since I've had a JRPG truly get its hooks into me to this level. It's really funny. Like we were talking about this uh, on the last episode, Nadia. Yes. Like these games, like Persona Five Royal and that kind of thing, just kind of bounced off me. And yet, but this game, Bravely Default Two, like I was completely hooked on it all last weekend. It was really, really surprising to me. And I think a lot of it is to do with. I mean, just the satisfaction of getting those really cool costumes. I think the power curve is a lot better this time around um, in terms of leveling up and grinding. And then also just the, uh, the, the boss battles are a lot of fun. Yeah, there are some really interesting builds you can make, like the fact that you have a job and a sub job. And of course, you always have your freelancer that you, that you should not neglect, which is a mistake people make. You, you guys were talking last week about the bard and the freelancer, and I'm trying to figure out what what ability was it that saved your your butt if you're a freelancer? Um, I know there's a, uh, a an ability you can do where you can get rid of a lot of status effects at once, and I'm wondering if that's it because if it's a bard, it probably spams buffs and debuffs. I mean, the bard is definitely buffs and debuffs. Uh, yeah. I don't remember what was what my build was against the bard. That was a long time ago. 
But <laughs> yeah, right now I've got um, Seth with like a Vanguard freelancer, I think. And uh, no, I'm sorry. He's a monk now. Monk Vanguard. I know that's a bit of a waste, but I don't have enough uh, asterisks to really uh, make anything better out of him just yet. The secret is Thief. Thief is very powerful. I think I'm about to get the Beastmaster. I love that costume. The Beastmaster is a great costume, especially for the girls. So cute. Yeah. The little ears and the little, like, teddy bear face. That's adorable. I know. It's adorable. So, yeah. And the Beastmaster can be really strong, actually. Um, the Beastmaster almost single-handedly beat a boss for me because they had uh, they had monsters that were so strong that were doing, mm-hmm. like, 8,000 damage versus... Uh, a couple hundred damage for the rest of my <laughs> classes and i was just like and that was what allowed me to overcome and beat this boss because otherwise they were like actually healing a lot so Eesh. i was like oh man i'm really glad that i leveled up this particular uh this particular job that's good to know because i just wanted to level up the beastmaster anyway so nadia i have to offer an apology to our loyal uh-huh. listeners so we're back over 5,000, and I very much appreciate it. Thank you very much Yay, to all everybody. of our wonderful patrons. I haven't been playing Final Fantasy fourteen this week. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen you around. Um, we, the Discord has been hopping. Like, we've been very busy in yes. there. Uh, all shout-outs to Victor Hunter, who really is great at organizing raids and stuff like that and helping out people who haven't uh, who need help finishing content. Like, for example, I did not do the Binding Coil of Bahamut until Victor took a bunch of us out and... It was unsynced, so we were just kind of powering through it. But it was still two hours because there's a lot of great story content in that in that uh, particular uh, raid. The co the co op missions are super fun. They are like, uh, I mean, if you ever need a tank or anything, like, and you are on our Discord, by all means, come into the Final Fantasy fourteen uh, channel and shout out uh, at us or join our Cross World League shell. There's there's always someone there who will help you. I will be playing more Final Fantasy fourteen. I've just been super head down on another project that re- meant that I basically had to power through a, a 40-hour game in the span of a few days. So that yeah, really mean, took up all my time. <laughs> you have an excuse. I figured you were busy with the thing you had to do, which is fine. Uh, I know you'll play with us soon enough. I've been leveling up Dark Knight, which is really fun. It has a fantastic story. Apparently, I'm sorry, her name slips my, na- my mind right now, but the scenario writer for Shadowbringers, which of course is an excellent game, worked also on the scenario for Dark Knight. And Dark Knight is a very, it's a fun tank class because you just spam AoEs and and it's very easy to grok for a tank, I believe. I've been going to dungeons and saying to people, please be nice to me, I'm a tank, I'm I'm learning, I'm learning. And people have been very nice kind of helping me out with that. Uh, Do you know the origin of the Dark Knight? class I in Final do Fantasy. Not. It's a little dark, hence the name. <laughs> uh, um, really? Are you saying that the Dark Knight <laughs> class's origin is a little dark? There was, there are the the Knights of Ishgard. You probably haven't really been to that part of the game yet, but it's the cold Kurthus area where all the elves are very serious and religious. And one of the Temple Knights, extremely high ranking, was molesting children in oh my God. the poor area of the town. So another high ranking knight found out about this and no one would do anything about it because he was very high up. He wouldn't – he was protected. So this other temple knight killed the molester in broad daylight where everyone could see. And, of course, he was uh, – he managed to defend himself by trial, by battle, which is something the Ishgardians do. But the point is he was stripped of all his titles and everything. And he said, well, you know what? Screw you all in this popsicle stand. 
if you guys aren't going to protect the meek and the helpless, I will do it as a dark knight. I don't care. I'm not going to abide by your, your stupid rules and your corruption. I am totally emo now. I'm going to listen to my chemical romance. And that is that is the dark knight. And the quests that I'm doing now are really cool. Like, I'm trying to protect this girl who is being, like, persecuted by the church and nobody really knows why. And there's this other dark knight who's helping me out. And he's he's really, really cool and very, very dark knight-ish, but also very compassionate. And that's what makes the class interesting, I think. It's not just, oh, look at me. I'm a vigilante. There's that element of balancing your sense of justice with the darkness inside you, which is will and can overwhelm you very easily if you don't keep it in check. And yeah, I've just been going down this this really dark path, so to speak, and having a good time. I'm about to hit level 56, I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of hip, head down in the, uh, the A Realm Reborn fetch questy kind of quests at the moment. So it's a little bit of a grind. When you are done that, like you're probably going from town to town and introducing yourself and being like, look at me, I'm the warrior of light, right? It just kind of, they're, they're having you, they're shuffling you around the map so you can see different towns and meet the leaders. I already, I did that already. No, it's more of a, I was at this church or something and I was uncovering some kind of conspiracy with the help of oh. the the seven heroes. <laughs> yeah, it was like my first job for them. Did you? Oh, the, the scions of the the seventh dawn, or whatever they're called. Yes, them. Did you join a grand company yet? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, they'll let you know when it's time to do that. Because when you, once you do that, you can get a chocobo. Ooh, I'm looking forward to finally having a chocobo. I see all these people with these co- cool mounts, and I'm like, I'm very jealous. <laughs> There's a lot of mount FOMO in that game. I'll say that. You rode up on this giant cool monster when we went dungeon diving together. I was like, whoa, that's a really cool monster. Yeah, I think I was. I was riding my wyvern. Yeah, I, I was into it. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of awesome mounts in that game. I always and I, I'm like you. I like the immersion of it. So I'm not like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this car. Or I'm gonna use this you know weird technology thing. I'm always like, I have a dragon. I have a pegasus. I have a wyvern. So <laughs> that's mm-hmm. I, I'm a dragoon for the most part. That's what I should ride. You know. All right, that is all of the news and what we've been playing. It's time now for our main topic. The Nintendo 3DS console RPG quest, don't go away. Okay, it's time for the Console RPG Quest, a series in which we explore the legacy of every single console released to date, except for maybe the Virtual Boy, which didn't really have any RPGs. I think the closest it had was Jack Brothers, which is so interesting because it was the West's first experience with SMT. So it deserves a shout out for that alone. I don't think that really counts. No, but the fact that it was our first SMT game makes it a great little bit of trivia. What a weird piece of trivia. Apparently it was a good game. If you look at Parrish's uh, History of the Virtual Boy series, it's, um, it looks pretty fun. I can't imagine actually playing an RPG in that thing because of being in those goggles for a long period of time, developing neck pain. I'd die. There's just no way it's happening. Similarly, I can't imagine playing an RPG in 3D the entire time for our subject this week, which is the Nintendo 3D 
3DS. Yes, the Nintendo 3DS released in February 2011 in Japan and March 2011 in the United States. Its big spiel was this glasses-free 3D. 3D was a hot topic around this time, thanks to 2009's Avatar. But to be fair, Nintendo's always been hot about putting 3D into its handheld and consoles. The 3D simply made it affordable for the first time. In the end, the 3D feature kind of fell to the wayside. Nobody bought or played a 3DS because they wanted to experience that particularly effect. Nadia, what is your first memory of the Nintendo 3DS? Well, that was interesting because when the 3DS came out, I was the Nintendo DS guide for About.com, which is has been changed to Livewire or something like Lifewire. But yes, so Nintendo actually worked very closely with me at the time, and they, they were very generous about sending over review units, and they sent over a review unit for the Nintendo 3DS, so I got to experience that firsthand. I was one of the first, actually. I don't know if you recall or if you were at... No, that you would have been at that E3. That was the one where we missed each other, where I had my 3DS there, and I was just getting all these street passes, and that was a lot of fun. That was like a good introduction to what the street pass could do. Uh, yeah, so I had my 3DS from from day one till day whenever it died. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know what day that was. I remember at E3, I think 2010, when they first showed the Nintendo 3DS, and there were these gigantic lines for everybody to try it out. Everybody was crazy. I, I really desperately wanted to give the 3DS a try, but alas, I was not able to get into it. Uh, the line was too long. That happened to me once when I was actually at E3, not with the 3DS, but I was in line to play Metroid 3, Metroid Prime 3, and I got bumped because some celebrity wanted to, you know, uh, struggle with it, and that was really frustrating. What was really weird was when the 3DS actually came out, so the review units come to all these publications, and Nintendo sent this troop of white of women in white suits, like pantsuits, who all had Nintendo 3DSs attached to them. <laughs> That's their umbilical cords. <laughs> and they handed uh, you a big old box that had the full 3DS in it, and then you were supposed to open it up and everything. So it was like a unwrapping a present. It was. It was a very weird kind of experience, something that Nintendo definitely doesn't do anymore. I was going to say, that sounds very theatrical for Nintendo. Didn't do that for me, thankfully. But Nintendo usually doesn't go for that sort of thing, not like the Xbox raincoats or the PlayStation 4 The Last of Us 2 shuffling you from room to room thing, which is terrible. But yeah, that is weird for Nintendo. I liked a giant bomb. They brought uh, the gift to it and then Jeff opens it up awkwardly in front of all these women who are watching and then he invites them over for a drink and it's great <laughs> that's what I would do because I, I, if someone was just watching me open this thing I'd be like you know what we all need a drink if we're going to go through this when the Nintendo 3DS came out I was still freelancing for 1up.com and I did not I was not able to get a review unit for the 3ds unfortunately i had to look over jeremy's shoulder while he was playing it <laughs> did you Alas. turn on the 3d so you can't see it at all but when i went to game pro a few months later there was a 3ds floating around the office and i was the one who was definitely the most interested in the 3ds because nintendo was decidedly uncool in our oh, office right yeah i really? was a nintendo person and i was kind of made fun of it for it really that's uh, that's kind of mean yeah, well, they were like, oh, 3D, 
Nintendo, Nintendo 3DS, you know, iOS is killing it. Oh, uh, my brother used to say that. He used to say to me, it's cute that you think Nintendo has a chance when uh, Apple's going to destroy it. Yeah, that was a that was a real piece of conversation back in the day. Also, the Wii was getting pretty long in the tooth at that point. So nobody really wanted to deal with the Wii anymore. The 3DS was not doing extremely well at this time. Did not have a very compelling launch lineup, I want to say. Unless you really cared about Steel Diver. I liked Steel Diver. It was actually kind of cool. I was not a fan of Steel Diver. I was not a fan even of Pilot Wings. I was always kind of mad that Nintendo took the secret agent element out of uh, the original out of pilot wings that they had in the original nintendo was all about novelty at this time so they were doing a lot of like little ar things they had these ar cards if i recall correctly that you could use with uh, the camera or using the, the camera on the 3ds yeah like you would take uh there were like built-in games where you'd like take a picture of your face and shoot other faces and it was it was a, it was really strange but yeah they were really pushing the whole AR thing at the time, in addition to the 3D. Early 3DS games, very heavy on console ports. So a lot of mm-hmm. N64 games, they had Ocarina of Time 3D. They had uh, Star Fox 64 3D, which, of course, I bought because Star Fox 64. That was, that was a good port, yes. Star Fox 64 is one of my five favorite games of all time. It's a great game. And like I said, that was a great port. I was actually disappointed with Ocarina of Time because even though it was a good port, it was so bare bones. I feel like... Ocarina of Time, as important as it is, it's not as much fun to play as it used to, as it once was because I feel like other Zelda games have improved greatly upon that formula. And if you go through Ocarina of Time, you'll find yourself just kind of walking around empty fields and empty dungeons because there's nothing to fight. The N64 couldn't handle it, which is fine. But why not, if you're going to update the game, why not give us some more enemies and, and stuff like that? It just uh, the graphics were nice, but they could have been more. What was kind of cool is that there was a virtual console where they were releasing Game Boy games so you could play Tetris and everything. And so a lot of people were into that as well. That was a a good virtual console because there was nothing like playing those old games handheld. That was a lot of fun. Nintendo was also putting out these 3D remakes of certain NES games. For example, they put out Kirby's Adventure. I think that was the most notable one. I was always a little sad that they didn't put out more. That's true. I forgot about those, but you're right. Those were uh, really cute, and I was really hoping we'd get more. That Kirby one was quite good. I think there was an Excite Bike one as well. Yes, that was also very good. You're right. That was, oh man, they should have done more with that. Nintendo. So a lot of these knickknacky games that kind of ended up being forgotten, I think, from the early days of the Nintendo 3DS. So the bummer of it was that the Nintendo 3DS really struggled out of the gate. It was kind of considered to be a little bit of a struggling system. And so when... Nintendo kind of took drastic measures with the Nintendo 3DS. Everything seemed to be set up for the Nintendo 3DS to be a really successful console, Nadia. It was coming off the heels of the Nintendo DS, which was incredibly successful. It was following on from the Nintendo Wii, again, extremely successful. There was every reason to believe the the 3D effect was very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. that being able to have a glasses-free stereoscopic 3D effect was considered kind of the holy grail at this time because everybody said well the reason 3d isn't working is because nobody wanted to wear those glasses which was true (laughs) very true so nintendo solved it with the 3d effect which was also really interesting is that they had been working on trying to find a way to get a glasses-free 3d effect into their console going back to i think the original concept for the gba back in the late late 90s so this was also so this was kind of a holy grail for nintendo as well 
Yeah, Nintendo has always, always been very big on bringing 3D to their games somehow. I know they came, the closest they came before the 3DS was the, they had an attachment for the GameCube where they were really gunning for it on the GameCube, but it just wasn't happening. So here they were, finally, 3D on the Nintendo 3DS. And yes, talking about the problems that plagued the system from out of the gate, I think the 3D was one element. Because yes, it was a really cool effect, but it came with a lot of controversy. Number one, some people can't see 3D. Their eyes are screwed up. Like my mother is blind in one eye and she can't really get anything out of a 3D game. I think Jeremy Parrish also mentioned he's the same way. My eyes aren't fantastic. They, frankly, the 3D hurt them. I have an astigmatism. So trying to play in 3D is actually kind of painful for me. Exactly. Like it, it, I could really feel my eyes struggling to, to adapt. I'm really good at those magic eye things, though. Don't ask me why. I ended up turning off the 3D every time. After a certain point, it was like it was kind of a neat, nifty effect, but I could only do it in short bursts. And I think a lot of games at first were programmed to be played entirely in 3D, but that they dropped that very quickly because uh, another bit of controversy that came up was there was a lot of arguments at the time with 3D being so popular, how 3D could affect children's eyesight, if at all. And there were some optometrists saying it's really bad for kids to, to look at 3D until they're about 10 years old. Other optometrists were saying, no, it's fine. Either way, Nintendo put a warning label on the 3DS that said, like, do not use the 3D if you're seven or, or younger. And having, like, a warning label on your console never looks good. So there was some murmurings about that. There were some cool versions of the 3D, like with Star Fox 64, that looked really cool. It did, yes. Kid Icarus. Uh, there was a Ghost Recon tactics RPG, by I think, by Julian Gollop. That came out right around launch, and that had a really cool diorama kind of effect going on with it. So there were definitely interesting integrations of 3D early on, but it never really enhanced the gameplay. So it was only ever a gimmick, kind of like the waggle in the Nintendo Wii. Oh, yeah, that's a very good... I think Nintendo became kind of infamous for uh, gimmicks around that time, just for that exact reason. One late-stage game that actually used it quite effectively, though, and we'll get into it, is uh, A Link Between Worlds. If you remember doing Hera's Tower, it was so much easier if you turned on the 3D, and it looked really cool. And there were there were stages in that game where you would see, like, enormous drops that you could not get the same effect unless you had the 3D on it. It would make you actually dizzy. It was pretty cool. I thought the social features were a lot cooler. Being able to collect yes. street passes was a lot of fun. The street pass games that they were included managed to uh, get a nice little audience going. It wasn't something that was going to sell systems, but it was a nice value add, I think. it was. There was a certain thrill with you would put your 3DS in your purse and you'd check on it and you'd see that little green light that indicated you would pass someone. And there was really no feeling like it and there hasn't been since. So many people were really into street passing, too. Like, whole communities grew up around it. Yeah. Um, it was just so much fun. And even though sometimes, like, one of the last street passes I ever got was someone swearing at me. And that was just a great way to go out. But <laughs> but it was so meme-worthy. Like, you remember, like, Lonk from Pennsylvania and Petch from Texas and <laughs> all that stuff. And it was kind of carrying, it was a, kind of continuing on from Dragon Quest IX as well, which kind of introduced that concept. It did. I think it was actually directly inspired in part by Patty's Pub in Dragon Quest IX, which was very much the same idea where you would pass other players and they'd hang out in your pub and 
you know, you'd, you'd meet them and kind of see what they were wearing. And that was a really cool feature. And I'm glad they expanded upon it for the 3DS. And then they even had their own little RPG that was part of it. That was like one of the best games. I think it was called Find Me. Find Me. Yes, that yes. was cute. I never finished it. My husband did. But it was a really... That, the, I think the problem I had with that game is that you'd have to street pass with people to help you out. And it has to be wearing a certain color to take on a monster. And uh, it's not enough people wearing the color white to, to help me with the, with the, the really dark monsters. And I was just getting frustrated with it. So pick the right color, gosh darn it. Yeah, I think I picked white just to, uh, just to kind of street pass with myself or whatever I was doing. One thing I love most about 3DS I'm going to miss dearly is every year I'd bring it to Otakon and you'd street pass with everybody at Otakon and you'd have inevitably the person in the room beside you would change their message every day when you street pass with them. So you'd see them and they'd be like, hey, it's day one. Hey, it's day two. And then the last day they'd be like, oh, goodbye, Otakon. See you next year. So that was just a that was just like such a, a fun experience. If, if a little if a little sad at this point, because it'll never happen again. Well, it took a bit for RPGs to get going on the Nintendo 3DS, Nadia. Uh, Tales of the Abyss was an early one in 2011. It was kind of emblematic of the desire to push console ports onto the system. Metal Gear Solid 3 was on the 3DS, which is a (laughs) weird thing to kind of remember. They were like, they were trying to do what the PSP was doing initially, where they're going, no, no, we got these console size experiences on the 3DS. And then they kind of got over that. They did. Uh, God, it lasted for half of the generation or one generation, I'd say, like or one year rather, because uh, you had Metal Gear Solid. You had one of the Resident Evils. You had Street Fighter 4. And who wants to sit there and play Street Fighter 4 on on the, on that weird ass cross pad? Although it, it did have like these weird touchscreen combos. It was a it was just a strange experience, but it was a, I guess, a cool experiment. I mean, it was a cool experiment. It looked good on the system. It's it just it wasn't. Nobody's going to be playing Street Fighter Four on the dang thing. <laughs> Nobody did. Like it just. You're right. Those console experiences just kind of faded away, and eventually, it did take a while, as you said. But 3DS did come into its own for RPGs. I think the price drop, which happened um, very soon after the game was after the system was released. Let's see. It released in around March, February, and I think the price drop came in August. And it was a big one. It was, gosh, $70, like going from 250 to 170 check my math. But that was a big deal, but it really helped boost sales. And that's when I think more RBG developers really started to jump on and bring their wares, as it were. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you have you can't talk about the 3DS without talking about the ambassador program. Yeah, you I was an ambassador. You could sense a whiff of desperation from Nintendo with that program because they looked at maybe the waiting sales of the Nintendo Wii and they realized that the DS was gone. They needed their handheld business to be successful. So they went all in in making sure that the 3DS ended up working in doing the price cut and then saying, we apologize to the people who already bought it. We're giving you all these games as a thank you, including a lot of games that would never make their way to the virtual console yeah. because uh, they put GBA games on there, which everybody was like, well, this is a precursor for them being able to get on the virtual console, except that there were these emulation problems. And so they were never able to actually make it happen. No, I don't think GBA games happened until the Wii U on the virtual console. But you're right. People thought, OK, well, this is a preview of what we're going to get on the virtual console for the 3DS. Uh, no, to this day, those particular GBA games are very much just frozen in time, and 
there were some good ones there. There was, uh, I think, Metroid Fusion, Fire Emblem Sacred Stones, was it? And uh, Minish Cap, which is a really, really charming Zelda game. I feel like it's overlooked, and if you haven't played it, you should. But those were good games that they included for free, in addition to uh, a lot of Nintendo games like uh, the 8-bit one. So they they did make it obvious that, hey, we know you're getting screwed. We're really sorry. We got to do this. So here you go. I have a lot of regrets about not cashing in on that ambassador program, though most of those regrets have kind of faded over time. But when uh, GamePro was closing, I found out that GamePro was closing and I happened to have the 3DS like with me in my purse. And so it just kind of stayed in my purse. <laughs> <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> Whoops. How did, it, how did it remain there? I have no idea. I'm glad that you have GamePro's uh, 3DS though. <laughs> Yeah, I gave it a good home, though good. I didn't really like the 3DS early on because no? it was like the DS Lite, maybe a slightly souped up DS Lite, but I always thought that the screen was kind of small, especially after playing so much on the PSP mm, around that yeah. time. And I just thought, oh, but this this thing is just not as, as good. And so having these console size experiences on it really didn't do anything for me. That's understandable because, yeah, I was not in love with 3DS at first, myself, the starting lineup was eh, okay. Nintendo Dogs and Cats was very cute. Other than that, it was just, well, I hope you like Pilot Wings. It was fun to see the system come to its own because I feel like whereas the DS was the home of so much innovation, so many new franchises, the 3DS carried on that legacy. You don't see a whole lot of innovation on that system. You see a lot of sequels, a lot of remakes, but they're good. They're really good sequels, really good remakes. There was a remake there of Radiant Historia, which was my first time playing that game, which was just fantastic. Same goes for um, SMT Strange Journey Redux. That was a great game. That was my first SMT game. So by the end, I had a really nice pile of great RPGs that I loved on 3DS, and I still have a pile that I haven't gotten through and maybe never will. That's very kind of sad. I think Nintendo early on with the 3DS wanted to, to capture the quirk that defined the early years of the Nintendo DS and made it very charming. The difference was that the Nintendo DS came out before mobile phones came around. Right. So it felt very novel at the time. Whereas when the 3DS tried to do it, it did not feel novel because we had a pile of iOS games by that time. It just felt kind of tired and kind of samey. And you can't out mobile mobile games. And this is a thing that Nintendo kind of had to contend with with the Nintendo 3DS. And I think that was maybe a big part of the reason that it was struggling early on was that people were going, well, what's the value add for the 3DS? It doesn't have like super compelling games. I don't really care about like these charming little things like touchscreens and 3D. So what you got, Nintendo? And Nintendo went, uh. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but there was someone who blasted the 3DS for having a stylus in that particular day and age. Like, why are we still using styluses in the age of touchscreens? And it made a lot of people mad, and I understand why, but I also understand where he's coming from as someone who maybe was not a Nintendo fan and was looking at the 3DS from the outside saying, what is this archaic thing that we have here when we live in this this new glorious age of touchscreens and iPhones and some something that's hard to realize maybe now is that at the time iOS is where all the indies were that's where all the innovation was and it was all good games for dirt cheap and Nintendo was still charging full price for games that was that were excellent of course but if you were an outsider who maybe even 
you know, how to leave for, for, for fun and giggles and just, you know, left it aside because things are so much cheaper on mobile. You were looking at the 3DS and saying, well, I don't see what's really here for me. I, I don't understand why Nintendo is doing this. Apple's going to just, Apple should buy it. Apple should buy Nintendo. God, that was the, that was the discussion point of the, the tens. God, what hell? It really was. Yeah, I think there was a real sense that consoles like the platforms like the 3DS were maybe a little old fashioned and long in the tooth, especially compared to mobile phones. So it's like, well, why would I get this? But yeah, something that was happening in Japan, a country in which mobile games had taken over to an even greater extent than in North America was that Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate released on the Nintendo 3DS in December 2011. And this is a big deal because mm -hmm. Monster Hunter had been a Sony thing for quite a while. It was on the PSP. That series really made the PSP. It was hugely popular. Circa 2010, 2011, you would be you would go into a McDonald's or something and you would just see a whole gaggle of Japanese high schoolers sitting around playing Monster Hunter. It's why mm -hmm. the PSP in the end was able to make even a dent, I think, in yes, any market. So Nintendo just stole it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yoink. I mean, I, I see why. There's, uh, there was still a while before the Vita came out. So what else is it going? Where else is it going to go? But that was uh, certainly. Now that you mention it, I seem to recall that was such that was one of the things that almost that saved the 3DS, if you know what I mean, that Monster Hunter boost. And killed Vita. R.I.P. Vita. Because the Vita just never got Monster Hunter. Yeah, right. It didn't even get one game for Monster Hunter, did it? I don't think it did. Oh, well, there was its problem right there, I suppose, or it certainly didn't help. That was a big one. Like, it just didn't have the games that could sell it. So Nintendo 3DS just stole away Monster Hunter, and that was that. It's like, well, we got Monster Hunter and Pokemon. What you got, Vita? <laughs> Pretty much. And funny thing was, though, the 3DS only had one analog stick, so they had to release the Circle Pad Pro in order oh. to be able to make it work properly with Monster Hunter. <laughs> that thing was so awkward. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if he could use it for Kid Icarus. No, I don't think he could. I think that was a big controversy. I had one of those. I don't even know why. I have it for some reason for some game. Either way, it was the ugliest thing on planet Earth. One thing that was really annoying about the Nintendo 3DS was that it was region locked, which was not yeah. kind of a new thing compared to the GBA and the Nintendo DS. And this was bad for me because I was importing a lot of games at that time, especially Super Robot Wars. And as we know, I am on a mission to catalog the entire Super <laughs> Robot Wars series for every single console. And on the Nintendo 3DS, we got Super Robot Wars UX and BX, which I think BX in particular is quite popular with fans who really enjoy the story and the way that the different units are integrated and that kind of thing. But I kind of ignored it because I did not have a Japanese 3DS. I mm. wasn't going to get one specifically for that. And also, uh, they were using shows that had already been in Super Robot Wars Z. So it looked like a kind of an asset recycle uh, to me. So it just, and the shows that they were featuring just weren't that compelling. So I was like, eh, nah, People don't really care. People were mad about that region lock. And I, I think was mad. that, it, it was a huge problem. Yeah. It was a huge problem, and I also think they Nintendo did it because I think the DS had so many problems with piracy. It did. And that was one thing I think that one major advantage the 3DS had over the DS for Nintendo was that it was more connected to the internet. It could more easily download updates and stuff like that. It could do it in the background. And they were constantly 
updating that hardware so that it would block out those cards uh, that were full of games and stuff like that. Flashcards. Like R4 and that kind of thing? R4, yeah. And it was just like this constant battle between Nintendo and the Pirates. It was actually... That's a good name for a series, Nintendo and the Pirates. But it was an interesting time to to just kind of watch them struggle back and forth. I haven't focused much on the pirate, the history of piracy with the 3DS, but I have to imagine that they eventually cracked it. Oh, they, they, that's the thing. They would crack it, and then Nintendo would say nope and, pi- and pave it over, and they'd start again. And it was a kind of a fun tug of war. Well, Nadia, the RPG floodgates really opened in 2012. There was Theater Rhythm, Final Fantasy, which was this wonderful tribute to Final Fantasy. That came out in 2012. Uh, did I, I think we both really love that game. Yeah, I have that. I have Curtain Call that I haven't played yet, but I hear it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Curtain Call, Curtain Call is like the definitive one. Uh, there's Final Fantasy XIV music and everything on there, and there's so many, so much spinoff music. There's like Advent Children music in there. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. No, that was, a, that was a really fun game. That's one series I would very much like to see come to the Switch. It's where I learned that Mystic Quest has good music. Mystic Quest has fantastic music. It's the funniest thing. I love games that kind of suck but have these amazing soundtracks. Shout out to Mega Man X6. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance appeared around this time. It's generally well regarded by fans. So get it? 3D Dream Drop Distance. Uh, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you're funny square. Was this one of the ones that was really important for the story? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It had okay, Neku that, in it. That's right. Okay. Which is cool. Neku's an awesome dude. It was Nomura's way of beginning the process of being like, okay, you won't let me make a World's Ends with You sequel? Well, screw you. I'm just putting it in uh, Kingdom Hearts now. He invades Kingdom Hearts. That's cool. Good for you, Nomura. I, I root for you, even though you're a strange dude. A 3DS XL came out in 2012, and that was when I started to like the 3DS mm. because I liked how much bigger it was. I liked that it felt different. It felt really solidly made. It was kind of this cool teal color. And it was at this point, and uh, the virtual console was getting a lot of different games at this point. I bought one at, I think, PAX 2012, PAX Prime 2012. And I was like, hey, I, I actually really like the 3DS now. Hey. I think Nintendo sent me one of those. And they also, I also have, um, if you remember, they had the, the, the ones that were modeled after the Famicom in Japan. And they had the Nintendo ones over here. And my husband bought me one of the Nintendo ones. Uh, so... That was a lot of fun. I, was, I really appreciated that. That was my main unit for a long time. I ended up with so many 3DS models by the time I was done with the, with the system. I had like five of them. Silly. I have something like five or six. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the DS Lite, I think, was the true form of the Nintendo DS. And I think the 3DS XL was where the 3DS started to come into its own and stop trying to you know, ate the, the original Nintendo DS. I wasn't trying to put on console ports anymore. It was, you know, becoming more of its own thing, I think. There was also the, did you have a 2DS? I hated that thing. It was ugly. God, that thing was ugly. The original, the kind of tablet-shaped one. Mm-hmm. I had one of those for some reason. I think Nintendo again sent it to me to review. And it was, when I when I observed it, I said, okay, you know, this is actually really good for kids. Because at the time, kids were attaching themselves to tablets. And it had a very tablet kind of look to it. And you couldn't, like, break the thing if you threw it off the Empire State Building. It was made out of God knows what. It just seemed like a really kind of a kiddie version of the 3DS, which was fine. It's a good idea for Nintendo to make. I think overall, like, in the end, it it sold extremely well because it was, of course, a lot cheaper. It didn't have any 3D, so I guess it was the 2DS. So uh, it ended up being a good kind of discount system. That was when Nintendo just threw up its hands and said, look... 
3D. We know nobody cares. It's over. We're just releasing a 2DS XL. The the 3DS is officially now just a more powerful DS. Yeah, and in the end, that was the best route for it. I also feel like maybe the new Nintendo, sorry, the Nintendo 2DS is when Nintendo said, you know what? Mobile is eating our lunch. We have to at least try to see what makes this platform successful because God bless Iwata, but people remember nothing but good about him and the things he did. And they should. Like he he was an amazing man, but he made some not so great decisions for Nintendo around that time. And I think one of the biggest ones was saying, we don't care about mobile. We're You'll never see Nintendo stuff on mobile. We're over here doing our, doing our own thing. And uh, eventually they had to overturn that. And to this day, Nintendo does not have the presence on mobile that it really should. It's uh, it's in a strange place. Thankfully for them, the Switch is so successful. It doesn't matter for them now. But back then, uh, they really missed out on the chance to that they, they should have done more with mobile in, in that time. Nah, mobile stinks. Stay off it. <laughs> hey, I mean, regardless of what you think about it. What do you want, it, more it, gotcha games from Nintendo? You want more microtransactions like the Mario Kart game? Again, back then, though, like mobile was a, a bit more of a, uh, of a good platform, not like a gotcha garbage dump the way it is now. To be clear, if they struck a deal with Apple Arcade, that'd be interesting, but then they would just be undermining stuff like the Nintendo Switch. Exactly. Now they're not going to touch it because they don't have to. The Switch is, is just doing gangbusters. But if they were still in trouble, like they were with the Wii U, I think they would have benefited greatly by going to Apple and saying, hey, let's do like a little arcade thing, you know. I think Nintendo embracing mobile is a dark timeline that I'm glad did not happen. (laughs) Either way, yeah, it did not happen. And they really just stuck to the 3DS and tried to get that thing going off the ground. And in the end, they succeeded. We were talking about the 2DS earlier, and it's not coincidence that its release coincided with the release of Pokemon X and Y, which is kind of like when the Nintendo Switch Lite was coming out with, I think, Pokemon Let's Go. It was Nintendo's way of being like, look, we've got these games for kids, and here's an inexpensive option uh, for them to be able to engage with it. Pokemon X and Y was their franchise moving into 3D for the first time. I was very excited about it at the time. I think I gave it a very good review for Shaq News. And I, at the time, I was like, wow, this game looks really cool. I'm eventually able to move all of my monsters over using the Pokemon transfer or whatever the heck they had at that particular moment. And also uh, the Kalos region, like I liked that I could dress my character up. It was the first time that they were making EVs and IVs a lot more accessible to competitive players. And they had some really neat Pokemon in there, including Greninja, who was uh, actually kind of an underrated starter, one of the most popular starters from there. So today... yeah. It's interesting because Pokemon X and Y had a bad rap for a long time. It's kind of ugly. Um, they didn't have a lot of good post-game content. Had performance issues when you yes. were, especially when you had multiple Pokemon on the screen at once. But now I guess Pokemon X and Y is starting to rise in the esteem for some people. Like maybe there's Pokemon X and Y nostalgia. There's Yeah, you always have a nostalgia boost. We talked about that, I think, last episode where everyone has that one generation they grew up with and that is the best generation. Everyone else can go to hell. One thing I liked about X and Y is that it had, I, that's when I was like doing dog grooming like part time and they had the, I can't remember the name of the poodle Pokemon, but they had the Pokemon you could groom and the different uh, performances, sorry, it's different like abilities were linked to the groom, the cut it had. Cause of course poodles have like 
a whole bunch of uh, different cuts. And what's interesting about that is a poodle's cut kind of calls back to his job because they, they are working dogs. Poodles are water dogs or retrievers. So the way that they're cut has to do with how they keep warm in the water. And that was in, they kind of implemented that in, in Pokemon X and Y with uh, the, the cut that you gave your, your, your dog would uh, affect his performance. I thought that was actually really cool. I also had little cafes where you could go and grind levels for your Pokemon. Oh, yeah. I had mobs where you could just get a huge mob of Pokemon (laughs) and you could quickly get a ton of EVs when you were EV training. It really streamlined the grind, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I think uh, people who were, I think Shiny Hunters really appreciated the, uh, the mobs. One of my fondest memories was at PAX Prime 2014, where I did the entire Pokemon League that they had. So they had all these people who put together teams and had little pin badges that they were giving out. And so if you could defeat their themed gym, and it wasn't always typed. Sometimes it was typed. Sometimes it was something else. Like somebody had a trivia gym, for example. They would give you a little pin badge. And if you could get, you know, all eight, then you could go fight the Elite Four, and then you could fight the champion. And so... I did all of that and managed to defeat the champion, get a special certificate saying I was a Pokemon champion. I was 31 <laughs> years old. <laughs> that is an excellent accomplishment to have as a 30-year-old. Right? Yeah, perfect. Was that So that was at PAX? That was PAX Prime 2014, yep. I'm just picturing where they would have that, in that like little beanbag lounge? Or yeah, like yeah, yeah. Just... Yeah, they, okay. just, they were all gathering kind of around there. And so you would just go... And when people would show up, you could be like, hey, I'm going to challenge you, right? So, And right. you could challenge the gym leaders in any order. So, That's really cool. I would like to be part of that. A little later, Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire came out. And we actually probably reviewed that on this podcast. I think this was around the time that the, pod, uh, the podcast had started, maybe a little before. I was I was disappointed by Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, Nadia. I do I wasn't working for one up at the time in any capacity, maybe occasional freelance, but I do remember you not liking that game at all. Well, I think my problem with it was that a superior version had come out in two thousand five. It was called Pokemon Emerald. A game That's right, yeah. A game that united the two storylines of Ruby and Sapphire into something that was actually much better. Had cool cutscenes and everything, had the battle frontier. It was just a much bigger, fuller game. It was the apex of the third generation, and I just could not believe that they didn't incorporate that stuff into Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. It, like, it, it, it really left a bad taste in my mouth, I think. That's one of those decisions that make you want to kind of sit in on the process, the creation process for a game like uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire and see if there's any justification they have at all for doing that kind of thing or... Do they just forget it existed? Do they consider it and say, no, we don't want to do that? Either way, you're right. Like those omissions, like that, that's extremely annoying. Like, why would you do that? And they teased us. They teased us, Nadia, because they had an even, they had a sign that said under construction Battle Frontier, which made people go, uh, oh my God, does that mean that there's going to be DLC for the Battle Frontier? And Nintendo's like, ah, no, 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 no. I wonder <laughs> if they ever, ever even considered it. One thing that was interesting about this particular generation of Pokemon is it introduced Mega Evolutions, which yes. kind of changed things up a lot because you had Mega mega Evolved versions of Pokemon that previously weren't very good, like Mawile, a Pokemon that <laughs> yes. had only one form. It looked kind of like a Venus flytrap or something, like a little Pokemon with a big Audrey kind of two situation going on. And it could mega evolve with a stone and then have three different heads and become very powerful. 
And that obviously ended up completely defining the the metagame and power curves got completely out of control. <laughs> I've always felt that the Pokemon metagame was at its absolute best in maybe Gen 4, Gen 5. So uh, for me, Pokemon, the downfall of the Pokemon competitive community definitely started around Gen 6, unfortunately. I believe that a lot of tournaments have their own rules about mega evolution, including don't use them. Well, they're not in uh, Sword and Shield, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, in Sword and Shield, everyone just gets big. Big and chunk. Well, they actually, Smogon actually banned that. Uh, oh, that makes sense. I'm not surprised. Yeah. And then also with, they also introduced the fairy type. That's right. Because everyone was just using dragons and slaughtering everybody. And they yes. said, okay, you know what? Here are I fairies. I missed it. I enjoyed <laughs> being a dragon and slaughtering everybody. Me too. Me too. I'm team dragon, Nadia, not team fairy. <laughs> they had some great fairy types though. Like, so I think that's when they introduced Sylveon, wasn't it? And Sylveon's very yes. popular. I was never a huge fan of Sylveon. I'm more into Umbreon. And finally, a couple years later, Pokemon Sun and Moon came out. So there's a lot of Pokemon on a the lot. Nintendo 3DS. And you can go back and listen to our review of that one. I think we're on record of being bigger fans of Sun and Moon than a lot of Pokemon fans. I Sun and Moon, I feel like, was the Pokemon game that got me a little bit more back into the series. I was always, you know, hey, Pokemon's cool. Pokemon's fun. Okay, I'm done with it. Goodbye. But something about Sun and Moon, I think... The location, the characters, the starters just really grabbed me. And also, well, I played it also when I was just kind of really stoned out of my mind for surgery. So maybe that <laughs> maybe that kind of uh, uh, taints my score a bit. But it, it's something else when you're playing a game and Team Skull is saying the word shredded cheese over and over again because you're so stoned with painkillers. We dwelled on Pokemon for quite a while. And I think the, one of the reasons is that Pokemon kind of defined the the Nintendo 3DS's RPG offerings in a lot of ways. It was certainly one of the highest profile games on it. But maybe a series that defined the Nintendo 3DS even more so was Fire Emblem. So yes. Fire Emblem Awakening came out in 2013. Fire Emblem was definitely at low ebb at this time. I think that the, the Wii games had not been well received. Uh, Shadow Dragon and its sequel, like Shadow Dragon came out did not do well, was kind of panned. And then a sequel came out that was only released in Japan. And at this point, Intelligent Systems was like, well, these games aren't selling anymore. People, did, they don't have an audience. We're going to do one mm -hmm. more and we're just going to throw the kitchen sink into it. And that game was Fire Emblem Awakening. And when it came out here, it sold extremely well. It And it was just a like a revival for the entire series. And I have my own issues with Fire Emblem Awakening. But it made the series accessible. It opened it up. But also, this was when anime became popular. Yes. Like, anime had already been popular, but it became cool. Like, it became yes. mainstream. And so Fire Emblem fit into that perfectly. It did. I know for myself, uh, that was me. That was what really got me back into Fire Emblem after a long, just sort of period of disinterest. And part of it was indeed, yes, it was kind of anime, but also... I really like the characters. I think the localization was really top tier. I think some people have problems with it, but because it can get a little memey at times, but it's just funny. You care about the characters, uh, and of course, you can make them kiss and have babies, which is always something people love to do. Uh, especially since I, people are making jokes about eugenics because you would breed like these characters and they'd have like super spawn. I think I bred. Gaius and Yarn. No, sorry, not Yarn, Pan. 
and they had yarn and his speed was like a bunch of zeros off the chart because it was ridiculous. I like that you bred them. <laughs> I, I totally like bred Pokemon. Them. Oh, 100%. Like, okay, great. You love each other. Uh, go, go make me a good wyvern rider, please. If you can have a good wyvern rider, I don't know. I've never met one that's really good. I was so excited when Fire Emblem Awakening came out because I had been pretty out on the Radiant Dawn games. I hated Shadow Dragon. Really hated that it. Was so not I was not a fan. I was just like, well, Fire Emblem is pretty much dead. And then this game comes out and it felt like a return to the GBA games that I had loved so much with within and the 3D ended up looking better than I thought. I thought the style was so much better than it had been in Shadow Dragon. So yeah. even though I had misgivings about how easy it was to, for example, grind levels with your with your characters, I and also the romance aspects were a little dumb. Uh, this was uh, <laughs> around the time of Gamergate and lots of localization controversies happening around the Fire Emblem games uh, in the, over the next couple years with this series, unfortunately. Right, yeah. Um, I know there were a lot of complaints about the localization of Tharja. She was that really twisted goth chick that everybody just adored. And she mm-hmm. was kind of scary because it was highly implemented highly suggested that she abuses her kid whoever i can't remember her name she's that really terrified archer but uh yeah if you and if you have her have a kid with henry who was also out of his mind like it just turns out so bad for everyone involved henry was henry was a fun character though he was just like completely nuts I think that I just ended up liking Fire Emblem because it pulled so much from Genealogy of the Holy War and it felt mm-hmm. like a an appropriate epilogue or grace note for the series. And then it ended up being really popular and Intelligent Systems was like, oh great, we can make more of these. And they did. Yep, they made Fire Emblem Fates a few years later. We obviously did a bunch of podcasts about that from 2016. Uh, Mike reviewed uh, Fire Emblem Fates, uh, the one side. I ended up reviewing Conquest. So Right, yeah. Because yes. it was released in two different sides. So if you picked Conquest, that was a whole different game. And then there was the other one. And that was the easier one. And that was the one that you were supposed to pick with the samurai characters. So she did It was so right? confusing. I don't know why they did that. To this day, I still haven't played the game because I'm just like... So you would buy multiple copies like Pokemon. I don't want to do that. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm glad that Three Houses kind of restored some sanity to this, to the series, frankly, because it could have gone very bad. There was just a certain point where I got kind of sick of it. And I was just like, okay, that's enough Fire Emblem for me. How much Fire Emblem? I love Fire Emblem. Don't get me wrong, but three games worth of it all at once. Um, I'll go over here now. I really enjoyed Conquest. I did. It was a phenomenal. I like it. Was, story was deeply stupid and the characters were kind of <laughs> dumb. And it had the lolly characters and everything. But yeah. put that aside, the maps were incredibly well designed. It felt like old school Fire Emblem. I enjoyed the heck out of Conquest. Yeah, that's I, I never played any of them, and I really should go back and at least try Conquest. But yeah, I would say that the 3DS basically brought Fire Emblem back from the dead and oh, made yeah. it into a popular series and set the stage for Three Houses a few years later, which uh, completed completed the turnaround, as it were. Yeah, uh, right now, Fire Emblem's in a really good place. One mm-hmm. thing I really like about Awakening is Lucina. She's one of my favorite mm-hmm. Fire Emblem characters I like Lucina far. a lot. It also opened the door for about a billion uh, sword boys to come over into Smash Brothers. <laughs> As it should be. The I think the scene where Lucina and Krom meet each other for the first time and they realize who they are 
and like she starts crying. That's actually a really touching scene. If you want to know where Japanese RPGs were around, were at around this time, it felt like every major Japanese RPG was a major question mark to actually be released in North America. For example, in 2013, Dragon Quest VII Remake was released in Japan. It would not come out until 2016 in North America. I forgot it took that long, but yes, there was a time when we really weren't sure if uh, Nintendo... Dragon Quest had a really nice revival on the DS with the remakes for uh, 4, 5, and 6. Those were all excellent. And then you had 7, 8 on the 3DS. And you're right, for a while it did not look like we were going to get 7. We did get 8, but I think that was also a bit of a question mark at the time. And then Bravely Default was released in Japan in 2012. Didn't make it to North America until 2014. Yeah, but at least we had a more complete version of the game because I think Japan had... um, the original Flying Fairy, and then the, for the sequel, it was called, was the complete version that we got. <laughs> Which was just confusing. I don't even know what the heck is going on with that series, because then Bravely Second came out, but now we have Bravely Default 2. Don't try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you have to know is that Bravely Second had the Catmancer class, and I'm disappointed that it's not in the in Bravely Default 2. Bravely Default was very cool. It definitely captured a niche of RPG fans who were really into classic turn-based RPGs who felt very underserved and very neglected Mm. at that time. Very much so. And this is something I think we discussed in the last episode talking about... No, sorry, it wasn't last episode. It was one before when I was talking with Andrew Vestal. And we were going over the reviews, which were for Bravely 2, which is... They're good, but... The original Bravely Default really caught a lot of attention. Everyone just sing, sung its praises because, again, we were so JRPG-starved. And I just wonder now if Bravely Default 2 is being judged a little more harshly because we are not in any kind of a deficit for JRPGs right now. Like, you can you can pick them like apples. Well, I think some of it is that the 3DS was considered to be kind of its own own thing. Like, I, I was a big handheld gamer. I really loved the DS and the 3DS, actually, played a lot of games on them. And there was this kind of feeling maybe that handheld games were less than compared to console RPGs, you know, stuff like on the PS3 mm-hmm. or uh, on the Xbox 360 because they just weren't as big. They were like smaller scale, retro, that kind of thing. And Bravely Default fit firmly into that category. Whereas on the Nintendo Switch, I think that it is competing on a more equal footing with a game on, say, the PlayStation 4 or even the PlayStation 5. So it's going to be judged accordingly because you can play it on a television. Yeah. I keep forgetting to play uh, Switch games on the television, to be honest with you. <laughs> I play them on TV occasionally. No, I uh, Bravely Default 2 went on my Switch Lite, and that's a good place for it. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a handheld game for sure. Mm-hmm. So around this time, the Nintendo 3DS was firmly settled in. Vita was dead on arrival, RIP Vita. RIP. DS was finished, Wii U was struggling hard, so it was pretty much where Nintendo was putting a lot of its resources. It was Nintendo wrote it as best it could. I believe it was in 2015 or thereabouts, the new 3DS came out, which was kind of a precursor to the PlayStation 4 Pro, interestingly enough. They did that first with the 3DS, Nadia. They did. They were the first, and they were also the first to show how it really fragments the market a bit because I did have a new 3DS, of course, but I don't really know how many games took really real advantage of that power other than, of course, Xenoblade Chronicles uh, had a a re-release on there, which wasn't great. 
especially compared to the Switch version that they have now. It was terrible. And it was a bad yeah. re-release. But Majora's Mask, the re-release for that, played really well on the new 3DS. And it was a bit of a chunker on the original 3DS. Same goes for Hyrule Warriors, which I hear was practically unplayable on the uh, regular 3DS, but moved really nicely on the new 3DS. So it had it had its uses, but I don't know how people felt about that in general. I mean, that was the same with the PlayStation 4 Pro, where yeah. games didn't always necessarily take advantage of the technological upgrades. But holy crap, if you tried to play some games now on the original PS4, they're practically unplayable because everybody's optimizing for the PS4 Pro. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't as bad with the new 3DS the way it was with like the, the PS4 Pro, but it, it was there. It was certainly there. And then the new 3DS also got Super Nintendo games, so you could play Super yes. Mario World on it, which was totally dope. I think that was actually its best feature, thinking back. The fact that it had the Super Nintendo emulation, and I was playing like Super Metroid on handheld, and I was like, oh, this just rocks few more notable RPGs from this period, Nadia. There was the Shimagami Tensei 4 and SMT4 Apocalypse, which I reviewed SMT4 and it was a rough time because it was so hard to navigate Tokyo, but uh, the boss battles were very fun in that game. It it was a very it was definitely if Persona 4 was for casual mainstream audiences, SMT was definitely for the people who had been with the series for a long time. Yes, absolutely. Um, like I said, my first SMT was Redux, which was a, probably a very good one to start with because uh, I hear SMT4 and Apocalypse is, uh, as you said, extremely difficult, not quite as accessible. A lot of people would say that SMT4 is probably the great unsung hero of the 3DS and is probably unfairly overlooked, but that tends to be kind of par for the course in general for the SMT series. Persona gets all the love from the mainstream and SMT is kind of over here. I think the, the the most important thing we all need to know about SMT4 is that the character is based on Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just a piece of trivia I read somewhere and I'm like, because he goes around shirtless and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. A series that sneakily defined the 3DS, I think, around this time as well was Etrian Odyssey, which... Yes made its way over from the Nintendo DS onto the 3DS, settled in really nicely. We got Etrian Odyssey 4, we got Etrian Odyssey 5, and then we got spin-offs like Persona Q. Uh, there was the Etrian Odyssey Untold games, and it just built a really nice little fan base over time. And I think the greatest loss in going over to the Nintendo Switch was this feeling of like Etrian Odyssey not being able to follow. Yeah, we had that like teaser years ago, and we have not heard hide nor hair of anything about Etrian Odyssey on the Switch ever since. And that is a big loss. Uh, same with like the Persona Q games. Because I did not expect to really care about Etrian Odyssey and I finally tried it because I think there was a demo or something and I just found myself really enchanted by how intense yet relaxing it is. It has some of the most gorgeously relaxing music you'll hear in an RPG. And I love the, the feeling of progression when you're mapping the game yourself and just drawing in those little lines and I understand why Parrish is completely nuts for the series. And it was just around this time, you know, the 2013 to 2016, 2017, the 3DS just kind of rode along. It never really made big waves, I feel like. I don't think people were wild for the Nintendo 3DS. And even the same way that the Nintendo DS did was because the DS, it made waves. It, had, it made a splash. It had its Dragon Quest IX moment right uh the ds felt like a, a revolution a big 
it was one of those things where everybody had a, a DS. And I felt like, you know, plenty of people had a 3DS. Lots of your friends had a 3DS, but it wasn't anything like the DS, uh, the excitement for that system and the, just the widespread uh, availability of it. I think the one last kind of triumph for the 3DS was the fact that Dragon Quest XI came out on it and kind of the retro form, as it were. And I think it ended up doing a lot better than the PS4 version over in Japan, at least initially. That's pretty funny. I can see that being the case. I I would have liked to try it, but it just wasn't happening over here, unfortunately. It just wasn't all that interesting to me. I know there were plenty of people like, bring over the 3DS version, you cowards. And I'm like, really? Are you going to play it? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like if you want a portable Dragon Quest, you have uh, Dragon Quest Eleven S, which is absolutely excellent. You're you're fine with that, everybody. Yeah, I mean, we got well at the time we didn't know that Dragon Quest Eleven S was a thing. We did know that it was eventually coming on Nintendo Switch. Exactly. Yeah. And then it did. It did, and it's a. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind having the 3DS version just for curiosity's sake. But you're absolutely right. Presented with both the versions of the game, which am I going to play? I'm going to go to the Switch. Nintendo tried to keep the 3DS going after the Switch was launched into 2018, but it was pretty obvious that once the Nintendo Switch was here, that the 3DS was pretty much a dead letter. Like, nobody wanted to play 3DS games anymore. They had all firmly moved on because the Switch was just a better console. It was. (laughs) It's really, really a damn shame, but that's exactly what happened. And it's unfortunately means a lot of great games were buried because nobody played them. Persona Q2 got overlooked. Uh, the 3DS remake of Bowser's Inside Story, which is one of my favorite RPGs on the DS, got completely just blown out of the water. And that was a shame because a really like little story they had going on with Junior. So I'm sad that the 3DS had such an ignoble, quiet death, like swan-like death, when it was such a, a, a really powerhouse of a system in terms of RPGs. I got a new 2DS XL right around the time that Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon came out. And that is a nicely designed little console. I actually am a big fan of that. It's the final form of the 3DS, in my opinion. Great ergonomics, great screen, doesn't have the 3D in there, screwing everything up. And it has all of the games that I could ever want. And there are a lot of games on there that I still love about the 3DS. I didn't even talk about Pocket Card Jockey because it's a simulation, oh, not, there a, you go. not an RPG. Freaking love no, that game. Such a great game. I want that on the Switch so bad. You know what, though? I think the new 2DS is the only co- is the only model that I don't have. I don't think I ever got that one. It's a great one. I mean, there's, you don't have to buy it. You know, no, there's not a huge a reason million. to get it if you already have a 3DS, but it's cool. Yeah, no, I believe it. It's uh, a nice little send-off for the system, aside from the the quiet death. I still keep my 2DS XL by my bedside, because periodically I just dive back into Etrian Odyssey 5. I should really charge up my systems and give them a good go again, like really trying to get into a theater rhythm curtain call at least. Persona, uh, Persona Q2 came out when nobody was paying attention, and that was also a very good game. That was a great game. I I really enjoyed Persona Q too. That was a it was a lot of fun to see the Persona Four and Five cast interact with each other. Another game like Etrian Odyssey, maybe we'll maybe we'll see it on the Switch someday. I think that Persona Q would work better on the Switch than Etrian Odyssey because Persona, while it has the maps, you're not filling them in yourself, so it's not a huge deal if you can't see them clearly. So let's talk about the legacy of the Nintendo 3DS, Nadia. When I look back on the Nintendo 3DS, it was definitely a lesser platform 
compared to the Nintendo DS or the Game Boy, or even to some extent the GBA. I think people have fonder memories of the GBA. Maybe better games came out on the 3DS in the long run, but there is just a little, there's a little bit of that old 16-bit magic still in the GBA, I think. So, I don't know. There are a lot of remakes and ports that came out on the 3DS. Uh, not a lot of original franchises, but what did come out was generally very, very good. I mean, mm-hmm. when I think back to the 3DS, I think of Zelda Link Between Worlds, which is probably my favorite Zelda game. But yeah. at the same time, like it wasn't a fully fledged Zelda game, right? It was a top-down 2.5D game like with a gimmick. It was like Minish Cap level. It was just exceptionally well-designed. I am very much in the same court in that I feel like the 3DS... People have nostalgia for systems as well as their games, and I feel like the 3DS system does not have the nostalgia that the Nintendo does, or you, you don't see people making like uh, quaint furniture out of 3DS uh, consoles. I feel like People, when they imagine the DS, they have a very clear, distinct picture in their head. When they imagine the 3DS, they're just thinking of the DS again, because that's basically what it was. And in the end, that was fine, because you're right, it had some of the, some really great RPGs on there, still does. Had a really robust virtual console, uh, having the access to the Super Nintendo was fantastic at the time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my 3DS, and I really enjoyed it. I don't have a lot of affection for it. But I love the games. You know what I mean? I didn't have a lot of affection for my GBA back in 2011 either. So it's entirely possible that given another five, ten years that I will actually have a ton of affection for the 3DS. And I'll look back on it much more fondly. That's extremely possible. We'll have to see. We should live that long. Because they're like a lot. Like I said, if you bought a 3DS right now, you would get a ton of good games. Like here are some of the games that you would be able to get. You'd get SMT4, Bravely Default, Persona Q, Fire Emblem, Shadow of Valencia, Monster Hunter 4. Uh, I mean, like, that's just off the top of my head, right? That That's right. a really good list. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, Radiant Historia, SMT Redux, even, like, the first Yokai Watch was kind of charming. The Pokemon Devil game, Survivor Overclocked is very good. There you go. Theater Rhythm. Like, there's a... It, I mean, you could probably pick up a 3DS for for zero dollars these days, and the games are probably cheap as well. And you can always download what you don't, what you can't find in stores because the shop is still up. Yeah, if you are just looking for like a budget system for yourself, or even maybe like a a, a, a kid or a friend who's not into games yet, that's a, you could do a lot worse. And not only that, it's backward compatible with the yes. original Nintendo DS, and the the region lock does not apply to DS games. So right. you can play Japanese DS games. That's how I played Chrono Trigger. It was great. So that is a value add there too. And really, especially the 2D Nintendo DS games aren't that much different from the 3DS games in the long run, even though the 3DS was a more po- powerful system. So that's an even bigger library for you to be able to explore. You can play the Dragon Quest remakes, for example. So I think there's a lot to love about the 3DS. And I think that everybody should at least dabble in its library if only to play pocket card jockey (laughs) it all comes down to pocket card jockey but yes you cannot go wrong with 3ds that's just what i'm getting at here yeah when i look at its rpg legacy i see a very strong steady not not a lot of peaks but very consistent i think exactly like it's not it's a system that started it started in a valley and it climbed and it reached a 
really a plateau, but it kind of a very gentle incline that it enjoyed for most of its life. So, Nadia, what do you think was the best RPG on the Nintendo 3DS? Oh, that's a tough one because there's so many good ones. Uh, Bravely Default is certainly worth the mention because it was it, it helped revive interest in the JRPGs. I think I probably spent the most time with Fire Emblem Awakening, though. I really just f- fell hard for that game. You know, if you want a really hardcore, old-school RPG, I think the only correct answer is Shimigami Tensei Four. That is mm-hmm. a phenomenal RPG and certainly a standout on the Nintendo 3DS. I would also throw out Etrian Odyssey Five. Like those two, yes. that's a really great one-two punch. And then finally, I we haven't really talked about it, but Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia, which I didn't like at the time, stands out much more firmly, fondly in my memory than it did at the time that the that it was a- actually released. Like at the time, I was like, oh, this is unbalanced. It's too old school for its own yeah. good. But now yeah. I look back on it, and I'm like, actually, this is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I yeah, like you Shadows to, of Valencia. You seem to have warmed up to it for, uh, mm-hmm. across the years. It's, all right, that is our console RPG quest. Look back on the Nintendo 3DS. What do you think of the Nintendo 3DS? Do you have fond memories of the 3DS? What was your favorite RPG? Were there any that you missed, that we missed? Um, I'm sure that there were because a lot of games came out on the Nintendo 3DS. Share your favorites. Talk to us at cat at bloodgodpod.com. Send me a DM on Twitter. Or hey, if you're on our Discord, which if you're a Patreon, why aren't you on our Discord? Leave a message in our mailbag channel. Okay, Nadia, it's time for our March Madness update, update, update. Update, update. Okay, Nadia, we are in round two of RPG March Madness, and we have a lot of compelling matchups. Let's look at some of the results. One of the big ones, Like a Dragon versus Persona 4 with Ouch. a big F that for you. Like, that's having to choose between your two children, isn't it? That was, that, I don't know if you saw, I responded to that on Twitter with that picture of that, that really sad looking kid with the gun, like just struggling with some sort of some sort of unnamed moral problem. That's me. It looks like Persona 4 Golden is going to beat Yakuza Like a Dragon, but it's going to be close, closer than many might have expected. Another one that is very close, Nadia, Baldur's Gate 2 narrowly squeaking past Diablo 2 as of mm. the recording of this episode. That is pretty pretty intense. Honestly, I figured that Baldur's Gate 2 would have a harder time or would have an easier time getting past Diablo 2 because a lot of people see that as the basically the best example the peak of Bioware like peak of old school Bioware so but then again people love Diablo 2 it's the peak of that series as well I was gonna say people have a lot of um very fond memories of Diablo 2 but I feel like Baldur's Gate 2 made more of an impact when it landed like it was just like like a I don't want to say like a wrecking ball, but here I am. <laughs> That's all I can think of. So I'm not surprised. It's extremely close. Yeah, Baldur's Gate 2 is the peak of the Bioware formula, and Diablo 2 is the peak of the dungeon crawler formula. The yes, exactly. Another one that's extremely close, Morrowind versus the original Fallout. It's a dead heat as a recording of this episode, Nadia. 50.4% to Morrowind, 49.6% mm. to Fallout. Less than one percentage point. 
both were on our top 25 RPG list, but most people would say Fallout is the superior of them, but Morrowind, again, the best of the Elder Scrolls series. So it's like, how do you choose? It's kind of a matter of taste in a lot of ways. Before Skyrim got everyone into Elder Scrolls, Morrowind was the game that did it. So there's a strong pull of nostalgia for Morrowind here. feel like I'm going to see a lot more of these, I suppose, as the, as the brackets go on. I think with Fallout, Fallout has a better story, ultimately. Bar- mm-hmm. Morrowind maybe is more playable in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, Morrowind has more of that, uh, that, that nostalgia. Je ne sais quoi. Exactly. It has, one of the most, it has one of the most memorable worlds in the Elder Scrolls universe. People love those mushroom trees. <laughs> in a matchup of sequels, Witcher 3 absolutely bodied Witcher 2, 90% of the vote. So people who are like, oh, actually, Witcher 2 is better than Witcher 3, you can be quiet no. now. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, that is settled. At least there's one blowout. And Disco Elysium is shocking. D- Divinity Original Sin 2 with 65% of the vote. I'm not surprised that Disco Elysium is winning. I'm just surprised that it's winning by such a margin. Those are two extremely beloved games. And uh, Disco Elysium almost feels like a usurper in this case. Well, Disco Elysium's brand new, but it is, yeah. it's critically acclaimed. Yeah, so. it's got yeah, to get on Switch already. Oh, well, it will be very soon. I'm excited. One that I was not expecting. It looks like Undertale is going to upset Dark Souls. I thought Dark Souls would make it <laughs> at least to the next round, but nope, Undertale's gonna gonna beat it. I will laugh so hard if Undertale ends up taking this whole thing because you remember, gosh, was it 2014, 2015? The the yearly uh, Game FAQs poll, Game of the Year, which always always ends in Ocarina of Time, got like blasted out of the water by Undertale, and it was a huge fight. It was like just an enormous hue and cry about Undertale being this like meme game with like just like trendy and oh Ocarina of Time is timeless and what's going on here and it was just it just blew up the internet for like a week it was amazing Undertale is very good it's a a great deconstruction of the RPG genre yeah I I really really enjoyed it Uh, if it wins everything sure why not Uh, it could go to worse games another matchup that I was not expecting Nadia Mass Effect stuns Fallout New Vegas. I thought Fallout New Vegas would advance for sure, but nope. Mass Effect takes the victory in a very tough matchup. The uh, I don't know if you saw it, but the makers of Dusk were just savaging the hell out of uh, Fallout New Vegas last week. <laughs> really? <laughs> they were making fun of the... They, they were doing kind of a meme format where like they say, oh... Fallout New Vegas fans say the game, this game, the, the the writing in this game is so good, and they put up a scro- they put up a screenshot about the line about Long Dick Johnson, which, <laughs> frankly, I think is a brilliant line. That was my, <laughs> that was a fantastic line. But they said the the thus the name at the end ruins the whole joke, and I say no, that makes the whole joke. That was that's what ties everything together. Like, uh, incidentally, like Long Dick Johnson's huge member. Oh my God, dick jokes. <laughs> A quality dick joke can really make a game, though, Nadia. I agree. Like I said uh, recently on Twitter, I think uh, if you if you hang around Limsa Lominsa in, in Final Fantasy fourteen, you'll find about 50% of the dialogue in that place of dick jokes. And finally, Chrono Trigger easily vanquishes Final Fantasy Tactics. Finally, sorry, Final Fantasy Tactics stands. You will have your moment yeah, to the sun. That was a bit of a blowout, and I don't think everyone's happy about that. That was a tough early matchup. You know, it's like Final Fantasy Tactics, they get through to round two, and it's like, oh, great. Now I'm against the favorite crap. Yeah, it was going to happen eventually, I guess... As someone put up a screenshot to me that said, blame yourself or God. 
I think the biggest surprise is Dark Souls going out in round two against Undertale. I, I was sure Dark Souls would be able to carry on. No, I had a feeling it was going to be Undertale. Like I said, that game of FAQs fiasco is fresh in my mind. Like, like yesterday, it's just brilliant. And I thought Fallout would be Morrowind for sure. I think it's the better game. Yeah, you know, and if you had, if you put a gun to my head, I would have to take Fallout New Vegas over Mass Effect. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Why? Because Fallout New Vegas is kind of the apex of the series, or the, the Bethesda version of the series, even though it was made by Obsidian. <laughs> yeah. You get what I'm saying? Of course. Of but course, yes. I just really like the setting. It has some of the best uh, multi-pronged quests in the entire series. I like the flexibility of choice that you get. The conflict between the New California Republic and Caesar's Legion versus Mr. House is a very compelling um conflict and there's a lot of different endings that you can get it, it just really pushed things kind of to the limit it brought the survival mode into the series it wasn't particularly well regarded when it initially came out yeah but it's really picked up in esteem over time and there's a reason why i mean granted mods are a big part of it same yeah. with mass effect but if I were to play one or the other, I would probably be more excited to fire up a new game of Fallout New Vegas than I, than I would Mass Effect. But I guess we're kind of have Mass Effect fever right now, Nadia, because the Mass Effect uh, trilogy is coming out pretty soon. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And I guess other people are too. Yes. All right. That's round two of our March Madness update, 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 update. update. All of the favorites are continuing on except for Dark Souls, R.I.P. R.I.P. F and chat. We're heading into the Sweet 16, Nadia. We're going to have some really intense matches in the next round. I'm very excited. Twitter's going to be a bit of a bloodbath. <laughs> and that is it for our episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, a reminder, please go and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. You can also find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Sometimes I stream at twitch.tv slash catbaileytv. And if you enjoy the show, why don't you give us a support? Toss a $5 or $10 at patreon.com slash bloodgodpods. You get access to a lot of great episodes, not just our Witcher Watch, but our Pantheon of the Blood God for Final Fantasy VIII, Lufia II, Skies of Arcadia, and next week, our 35th anniversary tribute to The Legend of Zelda. And we got our 300th episode coming up, and you can listen to that episode a week early and ad-free if you are part of our Patreon. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about RPGs. But for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.